this month we've been talking about regrets because unfortunately surveys tell us that many older Americans when they look over their life do have regrets. We want to learn from their experiences and from God's Word so that hopefully we'll not have those same regrets. And you'll remember that uh, I shared with you recent survey of Americans age 60 and older about regrets and steps that they wish they had taken to better prepare for those golden years of life and of their top answers, their most more the more common regrets, they could be summarized under three categories. Financial regrets, we talked about those last week. Regrets as it relates to health issues, physical issues. We're going to talk about those next Sunday. And family or personal relationship issues. We're going to talk about those today. And I think it's appropriate in light of Bell's passing this weekend for us to be talking about family and the importance of it, both our immediate family and our extended family and what God wants us to do in terms of those relationships. And you'll recall that the theme verse for this series is in 2 Timothy. It's written by the Apostle Paul near the end of his life, something he recorded for young Timothy, a preacher boy, as he reflected on his life. And look at what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You're familiar with it, but let's just look at it to, to get our mind wrapped around it again this morning. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. Paul said, the way I view myself is this. My life is a sacrifice. And that's the first principle is that how you view your life and its purpose shapes the decisions you make. And Paul said, my life, the way I see myself is I'm a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Just like an Old Testament Jew would walk to the altar with a container of wine and pour it on that altar as a sacrifice, he said, I'm a drink offering. And my cup's nearly empty. It's almost all poured out. The time of my departure has come. Death is imminent. But that's okay. Because my whole life and all the years that have been poured out have been poured out as an offering to Jesus Christ. That's how a Christian views himself, views herself. And so that shaped Paul's decisions. And he said, because of that, I have kept the faith, finished the course, and I ran the race. I didn't quit, fought a good fight, never gave up. Even when it was hard, I continued. Because the way he saw himself would not allow him to quit, would not allow himself to give up. And so how we view our life and its purpose shapes our decisions, and the decisions we make shape what we do in life, how we live. And then in turn, the third principle is the way we live determines how we feel at the end of it. How you're going to feel at the end of your time on earth, the regrets you'll have or the regrets you will not have will be shaped by the life you live. And the life you live is shaped by the decisions you make. And the decisions you make are shaped by how you view your life. So that's the premise for this entire series as we relate it to the results of this American survey of regrets that people age 60 and older tend to have. So keep that in mind. We're approaching this as Christians. What kind of decisions does God want us to make? What kind of life does God want us to live? 
All of that growing out of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's think about that as we look at this issue of of family relationships because one of the regrets of people in America 60 and older is that they wish they had stayed closer to their family. There's a lot of brokenness in family relationships in America today. You know that. Some of you are experiencing that. There's a lot of brokenness within the immediate family and within the extended family. And when we look deeper at the research in America, some of the regrets people have as it relates to family relationships is is they wish they had spent more time with their kids when the kids were young because once they're grown, they're grown. You only get those years once. Another regret is men and women wishing they had put more effort into their marriage and that usually surfaces after the marriage is broken down. And they look back and they say, you know, I could have had a richer relationship if I just put more effort into it. I, I took it for granted. Others really wish they'd stay closer to their family, to their extended family, siblings, grandparents, first cousins. A lot of older people regret some of the things they did that hurt their spouse, that hurt their children, that hurt their parents. And there's, unfortunately, a fair number of American adults who feel they married the wrong person and wish they had been a little bit smarter when they were younger and had Christian dating standards. And so I asked God to give me a passage of Scripture for today's message to kind of pull all this together. And the one that I was drawn to is found in Mark chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. Jesus is speaking, and it's because people have accused him of doing what he does in the power of Satan, which was a nonsensical uh, accusation, but that's what they accused him of. And so in response to that, Jesus said something, but it also sheds light on family. Here's what Jesus said in light of their accusations he called, to himself, he called them to himself and he began speaking to them in parables. And here's what he said. How can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus had been casting out demons and they were trying to belittle him. He said, Satan won't fight himself. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that king, kingdom cannot stand. I mean, an army has to be united. A nation has to be united in a time of conflict or it's not likely to win that war. So what you're accusing me of just doesn't make any sense. But then Jesus said, A house, if a house, or your Bible may translate it a household, is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The Greek word translated in your English Bible, house or household, is oikia. There's another word, oikos, which is usually referring to the building. Oikia can refer to a building, but more often than not refers to the inhabitants of that building. That's why some Bibles translate the household, the family. And so Jesus is saying is is if a group of people, whether it's a nation in a time of war or a family, a household in life, if, if they're against one another, if they're divided, if they're not united, if they're not together, they won't stand. God is the one who created the home. God says that relationships with your loved ones are a priority. And you are to make an effort as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to nurture, to nourish, to heal, to sustain those relationships. 
And it's challenging today, perhaps more challenging than any time in, in our lifetimes or the history of this nation for a lot of different reasons. Families face challenges. You know, a, a challenge that's relatively new in history is mobility and geography. It's just been in the last century that most families did not live within close proximity of one another. While there's always been exceptions, until 100 years ago, almost all families lived geographically very, very close, which would really encourage relationships because geographic distance, if we're not intentional, can also create emotional and relational distance because we just don't see each other. We just don't talk to each other. We don't connect. I mean, life for my kids was very different than life for me growing up on the farm, living in the, the farmhouse my grandfather built with my grandfather. And I could easily walk to another house on the farm where my dad's sister and her children, my first cousins, lived. And so it was easy to have relationships when people are geographically close. My kids did not grow up around anybody they were related to other than me and Monisa. I mean, it was a day's journey to see anyone that was a blood kin to them. Many of you, that's your experience in life. And that's, that's more common than not today. And so it presents some challenges that I don't believe as a culture we have necessarily figured out how to effectively and consistently address. Another issue is work. Not just because of economic challenges and downsizing in the corporate world and people working longer hours, but both parents working outside the home and, and we're busy. And that affects relationships with family. Billy Graham in an interview about three years ago talked about the regrets he has in life. One of those regrets is he wishes he had spent more time with his family and he in, in a sense of conf being confessional, said that he traveled too much. He accepted too many engagements. He should have been more discerning and said no more often than he did. But it was too late. Another issue is there's more to do today, especially for families with children, than ever before. And we have this insatiable sense that, that we need to do everything, have our kids in everything, be in everything, and therefore we're running ourselves ragged. We're so busy doing, we, we sometimes lack the time to be. And there's a huge difference between doing and being. And so there's a lot of challenges to keeping relationships healthy today. And what I want to do is just real quickly share with you some strategies, some ideas, some keys, if you will, for staying connected with your family, staying close to your family. And I'm going to share some personal stuff, some things from our family. And, you know, and I'm conscious as I do this of the fact that I'm far from perfect and my family is far from perfect and I've made mistakes. And But we got some things right as well as some things wrong. And over the years, we've learned some things. And bear in mind, I've lived more than 30 years away from any family except my wife and two kids. And so when you do that, you learn a few things. I've been a pastor now for, uh, how long have I been a pastor? 31, 37 years. 37 years. 
I've seen a lot. I've talked to a lot of people. I've had a lot of people sit in my office and share with me their experiences. And I've learned a lot listening and watching people. And so I want to share some things, hopefully practically, out of that experience. And uh, I'm not suggesting you do what I've done, but I'm suggesting you think and pray and ask God to show you what you need to do to sustain and connect with and build and strengthen relationships with the people who are part of, of, of your life. Now let me, let me throw in one, one caveat. There are some situations which boundaries are needed. There's, a, there's a, an abusive person in your family. Boundaries are needed. There's somebody who's unethical and manipulative and, and immoral in how they treat people. Boundaries are needed. So I, I get that, okay? But that's the exception. That's not the norm. Most families, especially siblings and relationships with those outside your very immediate family, disintegrate over hurt feelings and an unwillingness to forgive, selfishness and inflexibility, lack of effort and intentionality. And so I want to share some keys to staying close with your family. And, 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 and the first one is you have to want to because you're not going to stay close to members of your family if you do not want to stay close to them. Now that's, that's simple, but it's essential. A couple of years before Homer and Diane, Monisa's sister and brother-in-law, died in that plane crash, when Stephen was a senior in high school, they spent a week with us after Christmas. And the reason they chose that particular week was Stephen was going to graduate and they wanted to see him play basketball at Rock Hill High. They had never seen him. They wanted to see him play basketball in person before he graduated. So they traveled from Kentucky, spent a week with us, and went to, I think, three games that, that week at uh, Winthrop Coliseum. It's one of those Christmas tournaments. And they watched Stephen play ball. Now, while we were off that week, Jacqueline wanted to paint her bedroom. And it needed a lot of mud work, you know, from nails in and out of the wall and all of that. And she had this, she's artsy, so she had this really red color she wanted to paint the wall. Homer is the one who spent two days in that room doing mud work and sanding with her and painting. And what he said was, and, 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 by, and by the way, I can remember being in the house and just listening to them talk over the two, two days while you know my teenage daughter and, and her older uncle were in there painting. And he said the reason he did that was he wanted to spend some time with her and get to know her better. So here he is very intentionally not only traveling to our home to spend time with us, but intentionally wanting to see our son play ball and intentionally wanting to hang out with our daughter to the point of painting the bedroom and doing mud work and so on. That's intentionality. That's, 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 desire. that's what we want to. And the reality is none of us are going to stay close with people in our family if we don't want to. That's the starting point. And that leads me to the second key is we have to be intentional and make the effort. It doesn't just happen automatically. We have to be intentional. We have to do things. We have to make an effort. Um, Wayne and Sue Lewis in this service have been really good to my family over the years. We've stayed in their beach house many times. And when our kids were small on several occasions, my sister and brother and their children would join us. And that was all intentional. 
And I, I, I can talk to my sister occasionally. If that beach house comes up, she thinks she, she'll call it our beach house. And our kids have those memories because years ago it was intentional on all of our parts that brothers and sisters but cousins be together and develop some relationships. My mom, now most of you know this, she had a twin sister who died a few years ago. Her twin had three daughters, my first cousins, Faye, Joyce, and Darlene. And in the summer when I go home, whether it's a trip with me and Monisa or one of those quick trips that I sometimes make by myself, I will get on the phone before I leave South Carolina and make connection with them and always arrange because they live several hours from where mom lives. You know, you know, Kentucky's a long state. It's not driving north to south in Georgia if you drive east to west in Kentucky. It's a long state. So they live several hours away. But I'll get on the phone and call and arrange it, and I'll get mom and sometimes my sister, and we'll drive halfway between. That's after me driving from here to where mom is, then pick them up and drive halfway again to where they live, and we'll meet in the middle just for dinner. That's my first cousins. I only see them once a year typically. But if it wasn't for intentionality, we would never see each other to maintain those relationships and also helping my mom keep connection with her twin sister's children. This Christmas we were driving on Christmas morning to Lexington, South Carolina to spend Christmas with Stephen and Sarah, our son and his wife. And, and so on the Bluetooth on the car I, I called Darlene because the family had gathered Darlene's house Christmas morning. So I was able to call and talk to all of them on Christmas morning. And many of you do things like that. The, the point is it takes intentionality and it takes effort. It takes doing something. And that leads naturally to my third suggestion. The third key is you have to have a strategy. You have to have a plan. Don't, don't just think, well, it'll happen or when I get around to it. You have to have a strategy. You have to have a plan so that as you do it long enough, it becomes part of your DNA. It becomes part of your lifestyle. Now, you've heard Monisa and I talk about this before, but going back years ago when our kids were young, with us living here and our families in Kentucky, one of the blessings was Monisa's parents and my mother live in the same county. My sister, brother, and their children at that time lived in the same county. And so in the summer, we would take our two children to Kentucky and leave them for two or three weeks. Thank you, Jesus. It was great for our marriage. Because it was like having a two- or three-week honeymoon every year. Now, that's a different sermon, you know, marriage. But couples who won't ever leave their kids so they can be alone together as a couple, not smart. Because your kids will leave you, and you better have a marriage when they leave. And the only way for that to happen is to have a marriage while they're still with you. Okay? Enough said. But it was great for our kids. They have all kinds of memories of family and, 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 and the farm I grew up on and Monisa's parents' place because they would stay with their grandparents. They would stay with their cousins. They played with my sister and brother's kids those two, three weeks. And so now when either any of them are traveling, whether it's to the beach or somewhere else, if they're passing anywhere near the other one's homes, they always stop and spend time with each other. And that goes back to be intentional about helping them develop relationships when they were young.
when I go home to Kentucky now, every time, now hear this, every time, every time, I will call my sister and brother before I, before I go. I will tell them the dates I'm going to be there. And then they get on the phone, talk to their children, and every time there will be a get-together, usually around dinner, someone's home, or sometimes in a restaurant, but every time there will be a get-together, which is my brother, my sister, their spouses, almost always all of their kids and all of their grandkids. And it's just something that we're intentional about, not just me, but them. My sister's youngest, he's, he's, he's a, he's a uh, professional, travels a lot. He lives some distance away. And most of the time, he will bring his family and join us for that. I got to, I got to see his new, new uh, uh, baby boy for the last time, for the first time, rather, for the first time when we were home at Christmas, uh, after Christmas this last time, because he, he brought him over so I could see him. And so intentionality, the strategy, so my strategy is to always talk to them and say, hey, Greta, when, when can you get everybody together? And they do it. So it takes not only wanting to and, and being intentional, but it takes having a plan, a strategy. How are you going to do it? And then number four, just staying in touch on a consistent basis. You, do you know while these things are a curse, they're also a blessing? Technology is both, right? But I love the mobile-to-mobile numbers, you know, supposedly free, you know, it's in your basic fee, and, you know, the 10 or 12 family and friends and all of that, you know, I I love that stuff. And so I'm in my car, my Bluetooth, I use it. I call my sister, I call my brother, I call my mom. My brother drives 45 minutes to work and back every day, and I I know that usually in the evening between 6 and 7 o'clock he's going to be on his way home, depending on how the day went. And so when I'm out, and I'm out two or three times a, a week that, that time in the evening in the car. So I'll call Greg, and we'll, we'll just have a 10, 15-minute conversation in the car, both of us driving. That's Bluetooth, so don't worry, okay? But that's a strategy, and that's, that's intentional, and it's, it's staying in touch. I call my mom, and we don't tend to have long conversations, but I'll have numerous two to five, sometimes ten-minute conversations with mom every week that way. And so it's a plan and it's, and it's staying in touch. What are, what are you doing to stay in touch with your family? Number five, now, now I'm going to get to the point, to the parts that, that get a little bit tricky where there might be a little bit of oh me and ouch. Staying connected to your family requires that you be flexible. And that means willing to change and adjust That's especially true as it relates to family traditions. Family traditions, especially around the holidays, are great unless someone's not flexible. Some people, unfortunately, make family traditions like the Ten Commandments of God written in stone. And rather than becoming a blessing, they're a requirement and a demand on others if you're going to stay in the family. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got a cousin like that? You got got a brother like that? You got a sister like that? 
a mom like, are you like that? Flexibility. If you're not willing to be flexible, it's, it's going to be a challenge to maintain connection with, close relationships with extended family. I have my wife's permission to share this, okay? So um, early in our marriage, one of the minor issues we had related to family traditions was Christmas with her family. Because they always, their tradition was at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, on the dot, they would eat dinner, and immediately afterward, everybody would gather in the living room and open gifts, and that's how it was going to be. It was in stone, period. That was okay at first. We started having babies. God moved us to this city. We decided to start a Christmas Eve service. Uh-oh. We wanted our kids to have Christmas in their own home. And so we would get up and our kids would have Christmas on Christmas morning. And uh, you know how kids are when they're little. They get up early on Christmas, right? So by 11 o'clock, the house was a mess. We'd load into the car and drive six hours to Kentucky. became our tradition, listen to Christmas music and find the only restaurant open to eat lunch. Get there, and, and, and we would go to her parents' house on Christmas Day, and her family was always still there. My family planned Christmas around everybody's schedule, just real flexible. Her family in the early days, rigid. One year we bought all of our Christmas gifts by Thanksgiving. We were in Kentucky for Thanksgiving, and we left them wrapped there at the house. And we thought, well, we'll get there on Christmas Day that evening, eat dinner, and we'll just open, you know, the gifts they're giving us, and they'll open the gifts we're giving. Uh-uh, those gifts we had given them were already opened. It's gone. That didn't go over well with us. And we got in the flesh, and the next year we bought them gifts, but we left them at my mother's house. And on the way home for Christmas, we stopped at Mom's, picked them up, and took them with us, and we said, they're not opening them this year until we get there. Can anybody relate to anything like that? Now, it took some time, but gradually her family adjusted. And it takes that. Because, listen, folks, it's not the tradition that makes the family get over it. Did I say that? Learn to be flexible because the people, the relationships make the family. Now, somebody in this room, I don't know who it is, but somebody said, that preacher better shut up. It's an ouch moment. Well, if it is, good. You need it. It'll be good for you. And it'll be good for your family. Flexibility. Um, something else that's a key is patience and overlooking the small stuff. Luke 6, 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon or forgive and you will be pardoned. Colossians 3, 13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. So also, should you? You got a complaint against anybody in your family? You, you, you want to know something? There's probably people in your family who have a complaint against you. They're not perfect, are they? Anybody in here have all your siblings are perfect? Anybody? Anybody have parents who are absolutely perfect? 
Anybody have cousins who are perfect? You're not perfect either. And if they want a relationship with you, they've got to overlook some things in your life. They've got to overlook some small stuff about you and you need to do that with them as well. Because if you're going to have connections with your family, you've got to learn to be patient with those. You know, we all have those little things about us that are just weird. Right? Yes, you do. I do. Yes, you do. We all do. Sarcasm. Hmm. Sarcasm. Well, we all have we all have those things, right? You gotta learn to be patient. You gotta learn to overlook some and then number seven, be willing to forgive them. Ephesians four thirty two, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I've in my own life and in counseling I've seen enough to know that that Long-term relationships require forgiveness, the ability to forgive, the willingness to forgive. You can't have a great marriage if you're not willing to forgive because if you hold on to that stuff, you will destroy the intimacy, the love. You've got to learn to forgive. If you're not willing to forgive, romance dies, closeness dies in a marriage, right? Same thing's true with your extended family. If, if you're going to, you're, you're 60 years old, you're 36 years old, and you want to maintain a relationship with your sisters and brothers and cousins, you've got to forgive because they're going to do some things that irk you, that hurt you. And, and you have to decide. Is holding on to your bitterness more important than having a relationship with them? You just got to decide. We don't see eye to eye on everything. I mean, I shared with you a few weeks ago, didn't I, about being home with my brother, you know, a year or so ago and getting this big heated discussion about Obamacare. Y'all remember that? We don't see eye to eye. You got to learn to, if you, if, you want, if you want to be right all the time and you want it to always be your way, then I hope you're happy being alone because you may be in a house with other people, but you will not be in a relationship that's meaningful with, with other people. Forgiveness, patience, kindness. These are things that Jesus expects of each of us as disciples as he shapes us in his image because God has preordained before he created the world that those who belong to him would be fashioned, formed, shaped spiritually in the image of Jesus Christ. One of my dad's siblings, dad and both his sisters are, are now dead. One of his uh, siblings had uh, four children, my first cousins. About seven or eight years ago, two of them, daughter and son, had a big falling out. They haven't spoken to each other since. They live in the same state about four hours apart, haven't spoken to each other in seven or eight years. A couple of years ago, their brother 
became a Christian and was baptized. The son who had the fallen out with the daughter, with, with the, daughter the brother, the sister, when he, when he learned that the sister was going to be at the baptism, he and his family refused to go. My sister was telling me that recently there was a photograph on Facebook that, that a photograph of the family, the, the co- those, those siblings, the cousins and their kids and so on because another one, the, the other boy, and the oldest one, the oldest one in the family, his daughter had graduated, or son, one of them, I forget, had graduated. And uh, so the family was all at the graduation. They took a big family picture. You know who was missing from the picture? The brother who's mad at the sister and his family because he found out the sister was going to be there and he wouldn't come. Now, some of you are like that, unfortunately. I don't know who. Somebody in this room is like that. Some of you have members of your family who are like that. That, that The unwillingness to forgive. Now, I'm not talking about people who are abusive and unethical. Sometimes we just disagree. Sometimes we're going to do wrong and hurt people. But, But how would it be, brothers and sisters, if God treated you the way you treat them? That's why it says just as Christ has forgiven you. If you want relationships with people, forgiveness is part of that. And then the last thing is is pray for them. Because the verse we've been talking about for several weeks and going to talk about a lot this year is Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. I'll tell you something. It's really difficult to stay mad at people you pray for. Because you're just going to stop praying for them if you want to stay mad. It's hard to stay mad at people when you pray for God to bless them and God to help them and God to work in their life. It's hard to stay mad. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. When you begin praying for others, God has this way of speaking to you not only about them but also about yourself. God has this unique way of saying, but I want you to do this, doesn't he? Prayer has a way of breaking down walls and barriers and, and getting us to the place of forgiveness, the place of, of patience, the place of expressing love, the, the, the place where we're willing to take the first step instead of always waiting on others to take the first step. So make the members of your family a bullseye in your prayer. Draw a circle around them and pray for them. And ask God to help you learn how to love them better. Now, I know we're busy. But at the end of life, at the end of life, we're going to look back. And we're either going to feel good or we're going to have regrets. And brothers and sisters, when it comes time for your funeral, Some people are going to be there and some people will not be there. People who put people first in their lives, their their family, their relationships, 
to make those a priority. I've done enough funerals to know there's a huge difference when you see that and when you see the people who just pushed everybody away in life. Huge, huge difference. Huge difference between people who are active in church and have a lot of friends and in Christ at church and those who don't. Huge difference. Huge difference. Huge difference. So, how you want to feel when you get here will be determined by how you live and that's determined by how, by the decisions you make and that's determined by whether or not you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ who's living as an offering to serve, to obey him to grow in Christ's likeness. It changes everything. And so I want to, as we sing, sing this invitation song, and I invite you to stand with me now. We're going we're gonna to sing. I'm inviting you to make your way to this altar and pray for your family. Pray for your role and your relationships with your family. Pray for specific family members. Pray for yourself. Pray for the effort you're making. Ask God, ask God to show you what you can do to connect. You know, it may be as simple as doing something that's not done as much today as it used to be. It may be as simple as this year, this coming year, you actually send that cousin a Christmas card. Wow. It's not rocket science, but it works. It works. What's God asking you to do? And for some of you, in addition to your relationship with your family, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Stephen, myself, we're here as pastors, counselors. Here. We invite you to come and say to one of us, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and become a Christian. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants one with you. Desperately wants one with you. Will you offer yourself to him and say, Jesus, yes, I want one with you also? And when we sing this song, you come and tell us. Make your decisions for Christ right now. Come and join this church. Come right now.